I wasn't raised to figure out how all the pieces work to change the existing system. I was raised and my purpose that I'm growing into every day is to create a new one. We are back with another episode of Gravity Podcast. Today's guest is Winona Satcher. Winona is CEO and founder of Maker Studio, a green manufacturing and modular design build company. She is a graduate of Auburn University College of Architecture, Design and Construction and Dartmouth College Tuck School of Business. Her 16-year professional career is a combination of urban design. Mrs. Satcher has written for the Huffington Post and participated in both the City Lab Aspen Institute and Bloomberg Philanthropy's National Innovation Program. Winona was featured in Inc. Magazine's Top 100 Female Entrepreneurs 2020, CBS Small Business Spotlight 2020, SOCAP Spectrum Founder of Color, Forbes Magazine, and as a Next City Vanguard Top 40 Under 40 Vanguard. Mrs. Satcher is a 2020 Summit Senior Fellow through the Summit Series. Winona, thanks for joining me. Thanks for the invite, Brett. Looking forward to getting into the uh, the conversation. Uh, yeah, likewise. I uh, am really admiring what you're doing, and uh, we'll get to that. But uh, keeping with our format, we want to hear kind of everything that's led you to this point. So maybe you could just kind of back up a little bit and start kind of at the beginning and tell us a little bit about your childhood, your kind of early upbringing, family dynamics, and who you were and all of that. Sure. <laughs> yeah, at the beginning. Um, so originally I'm from Atlanta, born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, Southwest, call it uh, SWAT, Southwest Atlanta, too strong. Uh, and uh, really, you know, surrounded by family members, community members that were entrepreneurial in spirit. Uh, but extremely community focused, and of course, being from a city like Atlanta, you you are all so you were also surrounded. I was also surrounded growing up with, you know, civil rights leaders, the bedrock of a large civil rights community. Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was born here. His family, Ralph David Abernathy, Andrew Young. I mean, just an, an amazing space to to be born and raised in, uh, and not just from that standpoint, but just from the standpoint of diversity and inclusion. And so. I've always grown in a space surrounded by this notion that there's always an obligation to do more for others and do it in a way that is where you're meeting people where they are. Uh, and so early on, I would say probably around fourth grade, I started to do a lot of drawing of buildings uh, and uh, countless hours on the floor in the middle of the living room in our split level house playing with uh trucks and dump trucks and crayons and creating. Well, that I didn't really know what I was doing, honestly. Subconsciously, I probably did. But now looking back, I would say consciously, I was doing what I'm doing now. I was preparing for what I'm doing now, which is literally building and developing communities. Uh, and I remember my grandmother would say, you know, you need to you need to take a break off those knees and put some knee pads on. No, I, I, no, I'm I'm strong, good, and of course now I have knee problems, right? <laughs> but um, it was all in it was all in preparation for what I'm doing now. Uh, so definitely, you know, working class family. One of the things that I would say that was quite interesting uh, was during middle school and high school. Uh, unfortunately, and kind of fortunately, but really unfortunately, I was part of the busing system. Still busing kids from uh, one neighborhood to a better neighborhood for schools, and so I would have to take two. Buses to get to school and two buses to get back home. 
it's weird because in one sense, yes, that does provide you with a level of opportunity to go to a better uh, public school. But at the end of the day, the questions in the back of my mind uh, included, you know, why do I have to do that when, you know, we should be able to have the resources available in our community, my community's life on walk, live, thrive, where, you know, at, at the same space. So I think a culmination of all of those experiences from starting early, drawing and building cities with crayons and using my Barbie dolls as uh, road bumps, the hated dolls, I saw no point within them. So I use them as part of the built environment. Um, and my family actually encouraging them, create, creating that space and holding that space to always support uh, and, and promote and push uh, being as creative as possible, never knowing any bounds or any impossibilities, definitely has led to the person that I am today. Mm -hmm. uh, I would also say early on, my, my grandmother, my mom, you know, they really pushed a practice of, especially my grandmother, a practice of meditation and mindfulness at a very, very, very young age. And in fact, looking back on it um, from a psychological standpoint, I started getting into that around 10 years old and 11. I think a lot of that pre-adolescence is starting to take place. And your mind is just a, a, a wonderful and a wonderful space to attract ideas um, not think that there's anything as consequence or, or impossibility. And so that practice of mindfulness and meditation early on uh, set the tone for attracting a certain type of lifestyle and also practicing a certain type of lifestyle, whether it's professionally through my work or personally how I interact with people today. Uh, and so, uh, of course, I definitely encourage all parents to do that with their kids at a young age because it really does mold how you treat people and how you live and how you actually, um, how you understand and decipher information, being very mindful of things, mm -hmm. asking the right questions to get to certain answers. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, with that all, with that being said, you know, uh, taking two school buses to school, studying on the bus, um, you know, taking hours to get home, <laughs> uh, being around a lot of students from various different backgrounds and creeds and, and value systems, all walks of life. Black and brown and indigenous uh, kids uh, in a space that was heavily surrounded by civil rights uh, activists and entrepreneurs definitely leads you to uh, a, a, an interesting future. And what does it mean to build conscious communities? And what does it mean to curate experiences versus, versus creating experiences that everybody else can curate them? And I, I think I resonate in the middle of that space uh, now. And so, um, Went through, you know, graduated high school, that whole teen weird phase, mm -hmm. but still practicing this notion of mindfulness and meditation all through that time. And honestly, I think that I was better at math and science during those practices of meditation and mindfulness. Mm -hmm. I was more creative actually than I am now because of those practices, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And I haven't practiced it as much as I used to. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to get back into that. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like riding a bike, you know, it's definitely a practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, I'd love to dive in. I've been an avid meditator for a long time now and uh, want to talk to you about that. And I want to just go back a little bit, though, because there was some things you said. You said a lot and, and, and I really um, appreciate kind of hearing your story as you've shared it. There's um, some threads there that felt, you know, really important to me that I think um, hopefully will be important to our audience. 
the the kind of you said I think fourth grade where you started to kind of draw some buildings and play with the trucks and you know I, I think oftentimes people really see that as childhood play that it's um, not necessarily something that might be coming out of you that might be a part of you that might even be part of your purpose for being, it's written off as play. And, and maybe not as much today, people might grasp the idea of, you know, really loving your work and finding passion. And, you know, a lot of that, you know, seems to be a lot more prevalent today than it was when I was in college and, you know, kind of getting started in my career. But, but I think that's really, really important um, to kind of dig into, you know, a lot of what you said, even the kind of civil rights uh, activism that you were experiencing, that you were surrounded by, you know, I, I'm kind of curious how much of this was in hindsight, you can go back and look at the things that were coming up and were potentially, you know, a part of your path and how much of it was like, even at a young age, there was some sort of felt experience that there was something important happening or something that felt alive to you, you know, was, did you get that at the time or was that just kind of your environmental normal, you know, talk a little bit more about what it was like at that early stage to be having those experiences. Hmm. That's a good question um, or a good question. So I would say that 200% it, it has, those experiences have culminated into what I'm doing professionally and who I am personally now. I didn't, I, I wouldn't say, I, so I would say this, uh, being that young, I didn't know how to articulate what was happening. And I didn't know it was preparation for what I'm doing now, but I did know that it was natural. I did know that it, it was the easiest thing that I had ever done up till then, which, you know, only fourth grade, fourth, fifth grade, but it was the easiest. It just felt like that's something I should be doing. I, think I, was, I was on my path to my purpose, but I couldn't really articulate it that way. Luckily, though, that's why I had a, I mean, I'm so proud that I had a good support system because it was that support system, the adults in the room, the parents, the grandparents. My mom's a single mom, but I was surrounded by my mom and grandparents, aunts. Um, they listened and they encouraged that preparation for purpose. And I remember my grandmother used to tell me in my 20s, I never knew what you were thinking about all those hours on the floor. I always wondered mm. what you were thinking. And I, I couldn't remember, but I, except for, I like figuring out how systems, how, how different components uh, are put together to create a holistic, holistic space, a, a, a system. And to me, all the little pieces of the city and the pieces of the, how the crayons created this street. And how, in my mind, it was all about putting something together without caring about the outcome. It was pure creativity. And I will say also, I kudos to my parents because I literally would take up the entire living room with this city on the floor, uh, these, these neighborhoods, and they would never kick them out the way yell at me, fuss, pick up this, clean this up. It was never, it was always encouraging to do more of that. So from an environmental standpoint, that was the positive enforce, reinforcement to keep going, to keep experimenting, to keep exploring, to keep 
figuring out whatever it is you're trying to figure out without someone telling you that's what you should be doing. So it was, again, I think that's where I really learned the balance of holding my, my parents, holding that space for me, curating the space, the home environment for me to be able to explore, but also allowing me to curate, curate my own experiences and whatever that might be, figure it out later. I will say that the uh, the meditation and the mindfulness space, I'm not sure why that was um, so heavily encouraged, but it was. Uh, and um, I do know that my parents were smart enough to realize that you have to have that other dimensional space to be able to do well academically or do well personally. The activism piece wasn't even a question. I mean, I, there, there was no there was no asking me if I wanted to be an activist or go to a community meeting uh, or uh, sit at, um, I went to a Black Panther meeting once um, at a young age uh, or uh, volunteer at a soup kitchen at age seven. It wasn't even, it, there was no question whether I was, I was going. <laughs> like you, You're going to get in the car and that's what we're going to do. And so leading a, it was, it was all about practice, practicing a life of service was nothing new to me. Uh, and practicing creativity and to not be stifled was nothing new to me. Now, parents weren't sure what media, you know, whether I would be a painter, whether I would be an author, but how I was exploring life was through objects and putting things together and figuring things out. I don't necessarily know what I was figuring out, but I, in hindsight, 2020, yeah, that definitely is, that's what I'm doing now, is, is figuring out how to create equitable systems and looking at all the pieces, analyzing all the pieces and then synthesizing them into spaces that allow others or hopefully inspire others to create their own change. But there is a level of empathy that comes with that. And that, that came from the community you know, activism that I was doing as a kid that translated into what uh, I'm doing professionally now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I'm wondering, I'm just sitting here thinking about your family and. Um, you know, what What really like incredible people, I, I think it sounds like, you know, I, I'm wondering, I get the activism piece in the, in the civil rights, like I, I get, you know, where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, I am curious about the mindfulness and also the kind of idea around purpose. And maybe those two things are together, but like, have you talked with your, your family about kind of how that came into their lives and how they were able to adopt that mindset as parents, grandparents, you know, for for modeling that for another generation, that seems relatively unique. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that 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 at that time you had a family that was um, really kind of. Uh, and what I would imagine, you know, what I think, believe, like doing all the right things, you know, I mean, and, and I don't know if that's true, but like they're doing some, they're definitely doing some things right to be raising kids with a tool like mindfulness, to be raising kids, to be thinking about um, being active and solving injustice in the world, to raising kids to think about career, work, purpose. Uh, that's that's rare, even still today. So I'm wondering, you know, do you know a little bit about kind of how they arrived at that place? Uh, yes and no, more no. <laughs> and those 
that, yeah. that, that those are really, that's a really good question. I will, I will try to answer it, answer that question by what they did. And so my grandmother, who was extremely, act, she was an extreme activist in, 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 in the civil rights space and marching. She also worked um, for 20 plus years in a mental health institution here in Atlanta. And what was interesting about that uh, experience for me was that that's when she, so number one, she had an interest in that work. But, you know, back in the uh, 60s, 70s, especially 70s and 80s, uh, early 80s, you know, uh, African-Americans tended to, were only hired in a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, situations to get low-paying government jobs. Uh, but she had an interest um, in uh, psychology and um, uh, multiple personalities and, uh, you know, schizophrenia and all these different psychological um, challenges. And she introduced me actually to Clockwork Orange, Salvador Dali, uh, surrealism, um, uh, just an, a very interesting mix of, at a very young age, looking at the mind. And she was also very vocal about things she felt. So if she, she would have panic attacks and she would explain to me, this is what I'm having. So as a young, at a young age, you know what's happening to other people. You know, stand back and understand their, try to understand their experience, be, be as empathetic as possible, but also learn the difference and the value between uh, lashing out as a reaction, but also um, having showing restraint. And the value of restraint and the civil rights movement of things we had to do to take, but in the value of speaking out for yourself. And she always spoke out for other people. Uh, and so on one hand, I had her. And then my mom I worked in the library system forever. And so constantly being around, we have, I mean, books, there are so many books in our house now, and just books and reading. Uh, she was also a fan of horror. And so I was a fan of horror at a young age uh, and, and, and science fiction. And the idea uh, of different dimensions and space and exploration uh, at a very young age. Like a lot of kids, you know, looking at science fiction movies. Uh, Stephen King, one of my one of my favorite uh, authors. Um, you know, I was introduced to that early on. My my aunt, my mom's younger sister, is a physician, and so um, her and she's very colorful and very creative in her respect. And so. Growing up, I actually went to one of her classes in summer during summer well, not summer vacation at medical school here in Atlanta, Morehouse School of Medicine, and stayed the whole day uh, with her. One of her projects was she had to put together this skeleton to learn the bones, and and literally, I took her box of bones and put the entire skeleton together. Um, at a, I was probably middle school then, just looking at a book again, going back to this whole notion of figuring things out, figuring out how all the pieces work together. My grandfather. Uh, worked at the railroad, uh, at Norfolk Southern Railroad Company here in Atlanta. Uh, and he loved tinkering, loved uh, figuring things out, uh, loved math. But in a way, that was not what we consider maybe academically, but in a way that we consider creative. So I can, I can tell you what they did mm-hmm. and how all those pieces fit together, but I've never directly asked why did they parent that way. Yeah. I, I do also remember um, I went to Montessori school at a very young age and my grandmother said, you know, one of the things she wanted to do was to figure out the best educational space where I could be myself and be taught um, in a way that fit my, um, how I learned basically, which is why I really do like the Montessori school and Waldorf school uh, method of teaching. Uh, and I didn't, I wasn't there for long. In fact, the only memory I have is washing dishes. <laughs> like I don't even remember what else happened. I was I was so young. But this idea of, of um, being very self sufficient uh, and being self sustaining was taught at early age. 
I will also say this. I have talked with other of my colleagues and just people that I know from Atlanta as well, same age as me, uh, who also mirrored some of the same kind of lessons early on. So I don't know if there's this thing going on in, in Atlanta, especially for black and brown kids. Uh, but I do know a lot of that just had to do with being surrounded by people who didn't apologize for wanting to move the needle forward. And that, that you just, it just kind of, it just resonated. It's just something that's just natural. So what I'm going to do, Brett, is take that question today and ask my mom. <laughs> like, well, that's great. She, yeah. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, no, I, I think it's interesting. Um, and I'd love to kind of hear more about what um, she says, but I'm guessing that, you know, you probably learned the answer or something close to it by just observing what they actually did. Mm-hmm. So you're probably right. I mean, and, and really, you know, I think most people would say that it's more about how we role model than it is, you know, what we, what we, you know, what kind of wisdom we impart on our, on the mm-hmm. next generation. It's yeah. really more our actions that might, you know, make the biggest impact. And um, all of those threads, each one of the people in your life, family members that, you know, were role modeling various ways to be that are inspiring, you know, would make perfect sense that, you know, and, and but what I guess maybe I would wonder is like, well, what led them to that point? Yeah. But that's probably mm-hmm. a whole nother uh, episode. Why don't you <laughs> take me a little bit, you know, forward now as you start to kind of get into your young adult years, high school, college, like what, what emerges for you at that time in life? Yeah. So uh, I ended up again, after the two bus system and busing all over the place, I ended up graduating high school and attending Auburn University, a college of architecture, design and construction for undergrad and grad. Uh, And so I um, graduated from Auburn, uh, dual degree in the graduate programs of architecture and city planning. Uh, and it's funny because I actually started Auburn as an architecture student uh, and realized very quickly that designing a building is okay. But when you're able to design a city or design a community and understand the how, understand that what you design affects the, the social connections, how we can design for what I call purposeful serendipity, right? So you have these programs, you have these strategies, but the idea is to allow people to create their own collisions and sparks and that I I could have something to do with that. And then on top of that, add the city planning, the land use, talking about equity, gentrification, um, racism racism in in land use and and land ownership and combining all of those pieces and the intersection of all that really resonated. In fact, that's when I started noticing, oh, I'm actually doing what I was doing when I was in fourth grade. Now, Now it's starting to make sense. I can put words to it. I, I can put meaning to it. Uh, I can mm-hmm. explain what I'm doing in a tangent and build things in a tangible way and build models and renderings. So landscape architecture just makes so much more sense mm-hmm. um, than just drawing a building or building a building. That just wasn't, that's, that's so personal and visual. I really wanted something that was more holistic and understanding the ecosystems and nature and all those kinds of things. Um, before graduating uh, and work before my thesis work, um, we and I always tell this story as a pivotal, pivotal moment in uh, what I do and why I do what I do today uh, is um, we were um, tasked with doing a project in Indianola, Mississippi for BB King. And we were going to uh, build a, or design 
uh, a B.B. King Museum, uh, which is where he's from, in Indianola, Mississippi. And, and so to do that, we, of course, uh, went to Indianola and we stayed for a week, me being my studio, my design studio. And it was the oddest experience because that was the first time, this was about 2002, 2003, where I saw as a Black woman seeing other Black people still picking cotton. That's where I was eating dinner, eating breakfast at the, the, the matriarch, the family that owned all the land, eating breakfast in her house and having Black maids coming in, literally wearing you know, blue outfits with white hats. I felt like I was in In the Heat of the Night, the original In the Heat of the Night. Um, and I had never experienced experienced that before, even though I heard of it. Uh, and so upon leaving um, Mississippi, we gathered all our information. We stopped to get something to eat. And one of the, it was very still segregated town in my mind. One of the young ladies, teenagers who was working at this fast food restaurant, uh, noticed I wasn't from there. She was asking what we were doing. And I was like, yeah, I'm ordering my food. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're working on this blues museum and looking at the bayou that's here and how to connect the bayou to this, this notion of blues music and where blues music comes from. Not something that's commercial, something that's very powerful. Talking about civil rights, you know, all these slavery, all these things impacted B.B. King and why, you know, the music that he created, the, the magic that he created. And she said, what's the civil rights movement? I never heard of that. And that totally blew me away. In a bad way. What year <laughs> was that? It's around 2002, 2003 when that happened. Um, and, you know, it's one of those situations like, well, one, why did I have to hear that? <laughs> what, what, what was the message? First of all, I wasn't really actually interested in the message. I was just heartbroken, to be honest with mm. you. That was my first gut reaction. And having to take that with me and drive from Mississippi back to Auburn, which is now Alabama, um, I had no, there was no one I could really talk to about that or explain that feeling um, of, of um, what, what just this wash, this, I was like, it was like, I was like, like this is a different dimension. Like I just couldn't believe what I had heard. Even if I had time with this young lady, what would I have told her? Like, how do I bring her up to history? <laughs> like history, like what, what do I say? What's the civil rights movement? Mm-hmm. You know, this lady, this young girl didn't know anything about her history purposely. She didn't know anything about how she could contribute to this legacy. Uh, and she didn't know anything about who has contributed to her well-being. And so this, 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 the dismissiveness and the lack of awareness, I mean, that really got me great, like seriously. So on my way back to Auburn, and mind you, at that time, the name on the building for our architecture school was, is George Wallace. If anybody out there knows who George Wallace is, if you don't, I don't know what to tell you. You don't know a lot about <laughs> history. I need you to Google it. But to have to leave that situation and go into a building with that name on the building, just add it <laughs> to mm-hmm. the, the reality and the frustration of what should not have been real in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so I remember calling home when I got back. My grandmother was crying. I just couldn't believe all the work that had been done. And this young girl, I never heard of that. And so years later, I realized this was in my late 20s. Uh, now, fast forward, uh, well, late 20s then. That you know, my grandmother said to me, you, you should not worry about whether she will ever learn that history. Mm-hmm. What you should be excited about potentially is that you changed her life just by being there. Mm-hmm. And she said, you never know what young people pick up. And that reminded me, too, of how I was raised. You just never, you know, kids are sponges. Mm-hmm. Don't treat them anything less because they're younger. That's the legacy. Right. And so um, it still sat wrong with me, but I knew that there was a reason for why 
that message was specifically for me. Nobody else heard that young girl but me. Mm-hmm. And so transitioning, tra- transitioning from college and that experience to my late 20s, where I started actually working in, you know, typical architecture firms, just like any, a lot of design students do, think that's what they're going to be for the rest of their lives. Uh, I ended up getting um, uh, 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 let go because of doing the recession of 2008 hit, a lot, especially mm-hmm. in that industry. That's when I started becoming, you know, interested in entrepreneurship. And then I ended up getting a job with public, with local government. So I started working for the city of Durham, North Carolina. Uh, and let me tell you, government is a whole different space. Yeah. <laughs> um, only lasted four you. and a half years. <laughs> well, that's actually uh, maybe a long time to last in that environment. Yeah. But, um, um, backing up, you know, um, because I think you're kind of, you know, gracefully sharing that story, but I can imagine there was a lot of sadness and anger and mm-hmm. emotion that, you know, you were left with that you didn't actually know what to do with. I mean, right. that's, I think what you were describing. Um, and I was actually wondering, like, did she really not know? Or was mm-hmm. it like some sort of um, kind of passive aggressive you know, racism, like, Mm -hmm. is it possible? Somebody really doesn't know, but that I guess is, and I don't know which is true. And maybe you had a better sense of she was really just that, you know, uninformed, um, ignorant, or Mm -hmm. if she might've been something worse than that. I don't know which is worse actually, but, um, you know, it just, you know, you, you said at the beginning, you were asking yourself why, what was the reason why I got to hear that, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a pretty, I think, uh, mature way, evolved way to even think about it to begin with. Because, you know, that the emotion might be the natural way to respond in, and there's nothing wrong with that. But mm-hmm. anger could be the, the prevailing emotion. Um, and yet you're asking yourself the question, you know, why me? What's here for me to learn? And mm-hmm. so I'm wondering kind of as you start to kind of, you know, lay out the rest of the story here as you um, go through your kind of early career in the architecture mm-hmm. work and the, that path, which is really common. I also started out an architecture student mm-hmm. and shifted into city planning, um, mostly because I... Uh, didn't have the confidence to become mm-hmm. an architect. Um, mm-hmm. And there was some something in there that had me actually not really wanting to do it. Part of it was mm-hmm. not being secure and confident enough at that time to pursue that intellectually. And, and also, you know, thinking that financially I could make a life for myself that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, but Maybe part of me also just didn't really want to be an architect. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm not sure, but I liked, I yeah. loved the art, the history, the creativity, the idea of building things. I, I did not like the idea that I had to actually like um, understand through, you know, statistics and physics and mm-hmm. and you know, legal that these buildings mm-hmm. needed to stand for the forever and and without me getting sued. That part <laughs> scared me. Um, but um, but backing up, you know, uh, I'm wondering, you know, as you start to talk about going into city government, you know, mm-hmm. when when you think back on on that question you asked yourself, how did that moment inform how you started to move forward with your life in your career? 
So I'll, I'll, I'll start with, I'll fast forward to now and work backwards to answer that question. Because it, was, it, was recently, it was, wasn't until recently until I realized the answer to that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that had to do with working for city government. Um, and I started an innovation lab there, uh, which had never been done before. And of course, when you're working for city government, you're working for the people, or at least you should be. Uh, and so I realized, uh, first of all, it was a very toxic environment, even though I learned a hell of a lot. And if it wasn't for the community support, um, I wouldn't have lasted even four and a half, five years. Uh, but what I did learn, and this was part of also having the conversations with my with my family, I ended up resigning because it had gotten so toxic that um, uh, the more that I did creatively, the worse retaliation I received. And it wasn't until my aunt said, she said, you know, we raised you to be a change agent. You know, that's that's just what you grew up around to make change. Like that's the whole that's what you're used to, to doing and following in those footsteps. And she said, the critical thing she said was, but there are some systems you can't change. And that's when I realized after about five minutes of being frustrated, like my whole life, you raised me to be a change maker. Um, I realized that she, she was right. And that the meeting the young lady, the, the teenager in, in, in Mississippi, I was the actual, actually I was the first African-American graduate in the history of Auburn University and landscape architecture and dual degree landscape architecture and planning, being the first in a space that wasn't um, hunky-dory in a sense, it was very hostile in a lot of ways. Alabama, George Wallace building, you name it. And then working in government where you think that should be a place where there are answers for people's problems and it's not. It's, all, it's not about proactivity. It's all about responsiveness. All of that in resigning from city government and what my aunt said to me about you can't change some systems, I realized that that's not my purpose. That it was never about, I wasn't raised to figure out how all the pieces work to change the existing system. I was raised in my purpose that I'm growing into every day is to create a new one and curate enough to where people like that young lady could experience life her way to be inspired by the spaces that I develop and create that inspire her to make a difference the way she needs to make the difference. So that's what I have realized all this time that I've been doing that I will continue to do and that I feel very comfortable in doing. Mm-hmm. And that is okay to not, and, 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 and to understand that's my role in all of this. Cause that's the other thing. I don't think enough people understand what their role actually is. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I learned being surrounded by civil rights activists and my family, my grandmother, you know, that everybody has a different role and it doesn't have to be on the front end all the time. Like you don't, everybody doesn't need to be protesting. Everybody, all of that takes strategy and it is a lifelong, um, it is a lifelong job. You can't just think you're going to protest and make a difference. And then you freak, five months later, you protest, you know, if you're going to do it, do it every day. And, you know, mm-hmm. as much as you can, that, that is not what I am here to do. What I am here to do is to be in the background while you're protesting to, to break old systems. I'm building new ones. You can't have one without the other. And so now I'm starting to be more confident, especially as an entrepreneur and more excited about being a hundred percent happy with being that builder, being the, the grower in the background while everybody else is out front. 
mm-hmm. and putting all the pieces together so that when mm-hmm. it's time for a new system to to evolve and to materialize, I can at least say I helped to build it, you know, literally and also, um, I think, you know, in a way metaphysically as well. So mm-hmm. that's what that's what all those experiences have have led me. The answer that I've re- that I have received and, and what I am starting to feel comfortable with, I don't have to, I don't have to do the way make change the way you make change. I make change and build change the way that's comfortable for me, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's take a deeper dive into these communities, um, and you know, really what you're doing with your studio. Uh, I really want you to kind of share with the audience, you know, kind of in detail. What is it? How's it? How are you doing it? You know, what what shape is it taking form in? And you know, I I think um, as we talked a little bit before, you know, there's a lot of overlap in in what we're trying to do and and with with, with gravity and, and coffin development, and and I think there's a lot of shared passion um, for uh, kind of doing things in a way that is conscious and is creative and is impactful and is inclusive, um, and and. I'm actually starting to find an ecosystem full of people that shares this belief in having some real enthusiasm and excitement that that there's something here that's really happening that you know I don't know kind of what shape it lands in or how long it takes but that there's some um uh real excitement on my end that you know there's people like you out there doing this work um, so, and, and again, I think there's a lot of us out there that are thinking about it, playing with it, doing things. And, and so, you know, people might want to know how can we, you know, work together to make things happen. So, you know, why don't you kind of dive into your work a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, um, so quickly on that, uh, I, right before I resigned and I said, I was, you know, I had created an innovation lab, at the city of Durham, North Carolina, uh, and I was working with, you know, the intersection of tech, uh, tech, tech community there, uh, research tribal park, uh, urban agriculturalists, urban farmers, um, you know, musicians. I mean, you name it. It was a community engagement, code enforcement, fair housing. It's a whole realm of different of different uh, parts of city life. And I was I had a, a submitted this uh, application for a grant from Bloomberg Philanthropies to create. Uh, these these community labs where low wealth residents would work with high high wealth residents and create technologies or ideas that that could support equity and uh, upward mobility for those residents. Uh, and um, we were a, a top twenty finalists. We didn't get the top five, but it did kind of elevate the work that um, I was trying to do. Uh, and this notion of you know utilizing bringing in sustainability and reusing materials, and that's where I kind of came up with this idea of shipping containers. It's an abundant resource uh, that we could use to bring to, to add value. Uh, but what's even more impressive is to be able to utilize um, material that in order to provide value would require hiring local tradesmen and women to do that. Not, not something that's high tech, but something that's high personable, like you know, peer-to-peer, hiring locally, that kind of thing. And I had a lot of great feedback from you know, food entrepreneurs, food truck owners, you name it, people who wanted to be able to have an affordable space without paying a lot of money for brick and mortar to be able to expand their business, grow their business scale, uh, and so forth. So once I resigned from city government in 2016, 
Uh, I started at Baker Studio 2017, moved back here to Atlanta, Georgia. It's time to come back home. Um, and uh, went full-blown on this idea of creating, reimagining space and creating, um, uh, utilizing small space for big impact. And uh, creating, uh, again, looking at the balance of curating um, uh, and inspiring people to be able to create, curate their own experiences, but using some, uh, not a lot of resources to do it, not exploiting, not destructing, not being uh, exploitative. Uh, and so um, this idea that you could take a, a shipping container, any modular space, and uh, like Legos, how I was doing when I was in fourth grade, and put the different pieces together to create small neighborhoods or backyard units. Uh, from a city planning standpoint, to to create affordable housing, that's a huge conversation right now. In fact, that is really our social impact space is affordable housing and affordable community spaces, right? Because let, I, we met doctors, we actually pivoted last year a little bit and worked with a breast cancer surgeon here to create a pop-up breast cancer clinic. You know, working with uh, our uh, our servicemen and women, um, you know, in their fields, their subject expertise. And, and collaborating with how can we create on-demand spaces where they can afford to build them and provide and therefore provide affordable services. And you know, what better way to do that than utilizing modular technology? We just have new shipping containers because again, it's a readily source and it's something that we could recycle and bring added value. And so this whole notion of sustainability is critical. This whole notion of being able to hire locally, hire local tradesmen and women, hire local minority subcontractors, women welders, LGBTQ, people who are in the neighborhood that, that they can help create the change that they build, the change that they want uh, is very important. And, and that we could scale that and ship those spaces anywhere around the world and ship that capacity building and efficacy um, around the world, literally in a box. Uh, is really what's appealing to us. And so we, yes, focus on affordable housing, modular spaces and backyard units, but we also uh, are uh, uh, interested in, and we have done affordable art commercial spaces. Um, and uh, like I said, we did a, a pop-up affordable clinic. Uh, and so they're very versatile. The opportunities are there. Um, we've gotten a lot of opposition from architects. <laughs> Can I stand what we're doing? The interesting thing about that is that they're not my audience. My audience are those individuals who need affordable housing so that they can mm -hmm. have a voice. Their voices can be amplified in neighborhoods where they are without being displaced, which is a gentrification issue. So um, that, is, that is what we do. We, we do consider ourselves a design, build, green manufacturing company. Uh, we are looking uh, to scale to other cities. We just re received funding. We're still, we have a little bit more to raise on this goal this year to close out the angel round. Uh, but we luckily received our first manufacturing facilities. So we're really excited about that. Uh, and again, like I said, looking to scale to other cities uh, to logistically expand what we do, but also to hire uh, locally. And also at, at a, different, a different level to reimagine this idea of a support, local supply chain. You know, how can we build our own spaces? How can we have a direct connection to how we build and the materials we build live so we can build healthy communities? It's not just Building a house is building a home, you know, having a job, building your own entrepreneurial space for less money and less waste and less cost and being able to deploy in less time the conventional construction. So those are all the things that we're doing now. Uh, and we cannot wait to be able to do a mixed use development uh, mixed with housing, commercial. Uh, we're looking to not just build and manufacture, but also become our own real estate developers so we can really be 
as directly related to how the environment is um, positively impacted, how much we can inspire others to do the same thing. So yeah, that's where we are now. That's great. That's great. Yeah, it's really uh, interesting. You know, to me, we're in the process of starting to imagine uh, a shipping container park as a part of a future phase of gravity. And there's uh, some stuff happening in the neighborhood. There's a makerspace. There's a um, a fashion district initiative that's um, aimed at bringing uh, work to high school kids and to others that, you know, kind of are, um, you know, maybe not having the resources that they need or the, the confidence or the, um, you know, mentorship support to kind of step into that world. And yeah, we're seeing kind of the constant struggle in the retail space for retailers to get a start you know, to, to be able to go to a good location and also not have to worry about um, big build outs and, and personal guarantees and, you know, tenant improvements and, you know, big rents, you know, that, but yet, you know, there's, there's really uh, brilliant, creative, smart people out there that have great ideas. And I really believe in kind of this, um, you know, kind of pop-up shipping container, micro boutique, like let's play with it. Let's test it. Let's see what we can do. And, and kind of like you, I, I find, you know, all these threads in my own life, that, that's really the purpose for the format is because my own belief system is that all these things that are happening along the way are really there for us to pull from and then use to create Right. And uh, maybe we'll come back to the mindfulness piece here at the end, because for me, that has been the constant that allows me to see the um, opportunities and, and to connect the dots. And it, and it took me a very long time to recognize that that was what was happening as a result of meditation, right? But I now understand it when it happens. It's kind of happening right now, to be honest, where it's like you have a vision for a shipping container park on a particular piece of ground. I can see it. I know it's going to happen there. I know it's going to really be important in what we're trying to accomplish and the impact and, and, and the activation and all, all of the pieces, but it just kind of comes to you, you know, um, it, with like this, this idea, this flash of insight, right? That to me doesn't come if you don't create the space in your body and your mind, you know, so that to me is what meditation does. It creates space for the right things to flow in. And, um, and, and so, uh, look, you know, I think that's kind of what's happening when you can recognize it, when you can, again, kind of create that space, there's a surrender, there's a whole kind of, um, you know, openness that has to happen, which, you know, can be hard because of conditioning and societal norms and expectations. Um, but, it's beautiful when you can kind of step into that space. And, and anyway, I'm, I guess I'm just, um, you know, kind of feeling that that's what you are doing. That's been your life. And, and, you know, I'm really inspired by what you're creating and look forward to talking about how we can 
collaborate. Maybe you could wrap up with some, um, you know, final thoughts, whether that be about mindfulness and kind of, you know, how that has come and gone in your life and, and maybe coming back and, and, you know, um, sometimes, you know, that, that's how it goes. Right. But, um, and whether it be about mindfulness or any other kind of final thoughts that you want to share with our audience. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, first, thanks again for this. This has been a great talk and it's reminded me of some things that I haven't even, I've forgotten about myself <laughs> uh, being so busy in the weeds. Uh, but I, I will definitely say that again, you know, when you're older, you're able to articulate more uh, how you felt as a, as a child. And I will say that um, both meditation and mindfulness are really especially meditation has been, uh, they both have, but meditation has been really a, a lifeline and an oxygen tank for me. Uh, and now being older, realizing that I can't live with, without it. And I, and I would say because you kind of alluded to this, Brett, but it really is a continuous 100, 100%, 24-7, 365 days a year practice and creativity. And so if, you're, if, you're, if everything about you is focused on creativity and creativity and visioning uh, and, and visioning, um, you're, you're not focusing on what cannot happen. You're not focusing on the impossible. You're not focusing on the negativity. You're not focusing on problems. In fact, you're focusing on solutions. Uh, and so you, you, that, that then translates to me into this mindfulness practice of gratitude. And so if you, if you focus solely on gratitude, even if it's just for five minutes, that, 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 that brings you back to a, a space of being able to inspire and to be inspired and to receive because that's important as well. Uh, and so the, the practice of meditation leads for me has led to a practice of mindfulness at an older age. But the, a, a practice of meditation as a child has led me to a practice of mindfulness at an earlier, at a later age, which now leads me to a practice of grat- gratitude to find those five minutes every day to be literally to practice being thankful for um, the opportunities and experiences that you have and have yet to have. All of that goes into the kind of purpose you fulfill and how you fulfill that and making room for that. And so it all is a, it's all a choice, uh, but at the end of the day, it's a practice and it's not easy uh, because like you said, of the conditions of our external environment. But I, I implore and encourage anyone who works with kids, who has kids, uh, who comes in contact with kids to, to teach um, meditation. Uh, you, you will be amazed at how quickly, especially at that age, 10, 11 years old, how quickly that affects uh, the creativity of a child and being comfortable and being creative. And like you said, seeing things others can't see yet, uh, but being comfortable that, it, that, that it, there is a possibility because we're actually putting it, we're building it. Like that's the cool part about it. It's not just your dreaming. You're building something that is in here that might not, the language might not be there yet for other people to understand it, but there's an opportunity, there's a solution. And I'll say the last thing with that, um, I met a lady when I was doing the, doing the Bloomberg thing, a young lady from China who she's a real estate developer. And she said something that was very interesting. She said, you know, I've noticed that um, there's the language of the grassroots and there's a language of the high growth. And we need people who can be in the middle to combine both, to create a language that brings everyone to the table. And she said, maybe that's what you're here to do. And I thought that that was interesting because we physically build tables and spaces, whether they're out of containers or whatever. Um, but the part of the language piece of it, that, 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 that very um, personable peer-to-peer part of it 
it's not something you just get a degree in. It literally is taught through empathy and mindfulness. And so we're now at that really interesting intersection of being a company that can combine the two uh, to, to, to forward social impact. Um, and we consider ourselves a social enterprise because of that work. So, uh, you know, that's, that's where the journey has led and uh, really excited that now I can understand it better mm-hmm. <laughs> and can plan yeah. better for it. Yeah, I, I love everything you just shared, you know, Gratitude, um, for sure. I think people sometimes, you know, kind of hear the word today and think of it as cliche or, you know, oh yeah, got it, gratitude. But it's not, it's not. And, you know, even meditation might fall into that category. Oh, meditation, you know, it's woo-woo. But no, these things work. I have a gratitude. Yeah. Um, journal practice that's daily. My wife does. It mm. it matters. It it mm-hmm. has um, actually a, a a a scientific impact on your um, you know synapses. It mm-hmm. works. You it know, it, it literally like uh, it works. And and you might not need to know how it works. Kind of like you don't know how electricity really works, right? Yep. Until <laughs> yep. Flip the switch and the lights come on, right? So, yes. um, you know, I, I love all of that. And then, you know, this last piece you mentioned about kind of, you know, having what I heard you say is like this this life experience and this skill set that you're able to mm-hmm. then, you know, create from. And, and that's really what I think this is all about. It's all about kind of, our life experience and and our skill set and and our passion to create and um, that you know you said something earlier about kind of our roles right like not everybody yes. is really meant to be a activist right not everybody mm-hmm. is meant to be an entrepreneur right not everybody mm-hmm. is meant to right. be you know uh, a parent I don't know right like. Uh, there's all kinds of things that uh, we do collectively that really, I think, um, mm-hmm. you know, is kind of how we start to tackle real issues, right? And, that's right. And, exactly. and that's kind of, you know, where I've been getting a lot of energy is like finding others who have a unique ability over a shared common goal, you know, where it's like mm-hmm. there's certain things that I'm never going to do, I'm not good at, Mm -hmm. I would never Mm -hmm. really, you know, be happy doing it. Um, And Mm -hmm. other people who love it, right? And together, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, we, we improve. So um, I love that and look forward to kind of continuing the dialogue. It's all about the collective. Yeah. It's all about the collective. Yeah. There's some great things happening here uh, in Columbus we'll talk about that, you know, could be very supportive of um, social enterprise great. and um, your work. So uh, really, you know, again, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with me here oh, and also <laughs> for the work that you're doing. And, and um, yeah, look forward to continuing the dialogue. Well, Brett, this has been a great conversation. I wish we could do this every day. It's so needed and very healing. So I'm so glad that we were connected through the Summit community um, and finally able to do uh, connect and do a podcast. And you know, any anytime you want to do another one, let me know. This is great. Thanks for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and follow me on Instagram 
at Brett Kaufman on Twitter at bkaufman125 and subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for The Gravity Podcast with Brett Kaufman. And please send me a DM with any guests or topics that you'd like to hear on future episodes.